the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. 91 years old. One of my favorite people on the planet is 91 years old. And his name is Warren Buffett. Hey, I got nothing against Jeff Bezos or Mackenzie Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Melinda Gates. Billionaires. They're in the billionaire club, all of them. But when it comes to favorite billionaires, I have one, and it's Warren Buffett. He is the best investor of all time. He is the GOAT. Greatest of all time. I have no shame saying that. In the 1990s, I didn't want him dead, but I wanted to beat him. I felt like it was my time to get on court and play a little one-on-one with the greatest of all time. I'm going to outperform him in the stock market. The truth is I probably did. But that doesn't make me a better investor than him. It just means, to me, he's been doing it for a longer period of time. Every three months, we learn more about what he's doing and what he's thinking. His track record is, was, is amazing. And there's no doubt that he's kind of coming away a little bearish these days. He was a net seller of equities, also known as stocks, in the third quarter. He owns a big company called Berkshire Hathaway, and their exposure to the stock market amidst a series of then-record highs and increasingly stretched valuations. The chairman and CEO continue to back out of bets in the pharmaceutical sector. Paired Berkshire Hathaway's holdings in financial stocks and payment processors in one particular one, he eliminates the whole position. We'll talk about it. The Oracle of Omaha is what they call him. He's continuing to play defense right now. He saw a total of about $1.9 billion in net sales. And that was up from selling $1.1 billion in the second quarter. So he's continuing to trim. I find this very interesting. I just find the whole man interesting. By the age of 16, he had made $53,000 selling sticks of gum in packs of five for a nickel. His father became a congressman. His family moved from Omaha to Washington, D.C. Buffett delivered the Washington Post every morning and brought in about $175 a month. That's more than what teachers' salaries were at that time. He pursued side gigs, selling used golf balls and collector stamps and buffing cars. By the time he was 16, he had $53,000 in earnings. Bought his first stock when he was 11 years old. That's my kind of man. I take him out for a milkshake after that one, and I'll drink it down with him. So Warren Buffett reduced his stake in the third quarter on U.S. Bank Corp nation's fifth largest bank by assets and America's biggest regional bank. 
the Oracle of Omaha started buying stock in 2006. With Visa, he reduced his stake. World's biggest, let's say biggest or largest, world's largest payment processor. Thanks to runaway growth in digital mobile transactions, the pandemic actually accelerated business. He reduced his position in MasterCard. Visa and MasterCard kind of go hand in hand. Uh, he reduced his stake in Bristol Mass Squibb, a pharmaceutical giant. Berkshire Hathaway's bets in the pharmaceutical sector. Um, pretty epic, pretty large. So he's reduced financials and he's reduced, reduced pharmaceuticals. Now he's also reduced charter communications, which is a TV, internet, telephone, and other service provider for like Spectrum. He reduced his stake in AbbVie. These are all great names. And I'm going to tell you, you should be like him. Just know that he's cutting exposure right now. Um, is there any name here that he adds to? Let's take a look through his filings. Uh, he completely exited out of Orga, Organon? Huh. But it was a material. It was a small position. Um, exited Liberty Media. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Chevron. He added to a stake. Picked up more energy. That's interesting. Um, worthy of note. He added to a stake of Liberty Media. And Liberty Media is tied towards Cirrus XM Group. They're a big... Uh, Subscription company. A lot of people think that company's going to get broken up at some point because there's a lot of little things inside of it. He added to a stake of a floor and decor holdings. I know you're saying, who? That's right, floor and decor holdings. And guess what they make? Floor and decor. Flooring-related accessories primarily through 133 company-operated warehouse store formats. Added to his position in Royalty Pharma. Not your usual pharmaceutical play. Royalty Pharma, as the name might suggest, is focused on acquiring biopharmaceutical royalties. It doesn't research and develop drugs. It helps provide capital for the companies that do. And that's what you got. That's what Warren Buffett did in the last 90 days in his big positions. And I think he's always worth watching. He was rejected by Harvard Business School. After graduating from the University of Nebraska in three years, he applied to Harvard. But during a brief interview with the school that would determine his acceptance, the staff said that to Buffett, forget it. You're not going to Harvard. <laughs> when you're the richest man on the planet, he should have written the letter. He eats like a six-year-old child. And remember, I started the segment by saying he's my favorite 91-year-old man. 
Coca-Cola and ice cream. Buffett claimed he is one quarter Coca-Cola. So he's 25% made of Coca-Cola. If I eat 2,700 calories a day, a quarter of that is Coca-Cola. He drinks at least five 12-ounce servings every day. I don't know if he's a glass Coca-Cola guy or a Coca-Cola from Mexico or if he's a Diet Coke can kind of guy. I don't know. Well, he's not Diet Coke. He's talking about calories, right? He's lived in the same house since 1958. I find that fascinating. Originally bought it for $31,000, and he's the richest, world's richest, well, he was the world's richest man for a long period of time. His father-in-law told him that he was going to fail. He invited him over for a talk, sat him down, and was adamant that he would fail. His father-in-law said, I want to absolve you of any worries. You're going to fail. And the reason you're going to fail, my daughter may starve to death and you're going to fail. But I'm not going to blame you because it's the Democrats are in and they're all communists. So his father-in-law told him the communists and Democrats were going to ruin the stock market. That was back in the 1970s. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The fortune-making spirit of today's marketplace, The Rob Black Show. Questions about how to invest in your retirement? Check out robblackshow.com and get in on the conversation. Subscribe to the podcast and video channels. No one cares more about your money than you do. It's time to start to feel good about your financial future. robblackshow.com robblackshow.com I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. I'm okay looking back at history. I'm trying to learn a little bit from it. I like reading books. I try to read about 600 pages a week. Um, It calms me down. It relaxes me. It chills me out. But it educates me. And I think that's the best part about my job. The 2020 New York International Auto Show was first postponed and then it was canceled due to COVID-19. Outside of World War II, it was the only time in the show's 120-year history that it was not held. We've been making cars for 120 years. We've been trying to showcase them for that long of a period of time. And I find that fascinating. First and foremost, nothing really changed until this guy named Elon Musk came along. Let's talk a little bit about the history of car making. So the International Auto Show started in 1900. The show featured a week of festivities at the Grand Central Palace Exhibition Hall in Midtown. Founders and heads of Dodge Brothers car traveled with friends by train from Detroit to New York. A total of 84 car makers converged on the show. Let's stop and think about that for a second. 84 different car makers 100 years ago, 120 years ago, right? Ford by far was the number one automobile manufacturer, and they didn't even participate. Long gone names that you've never even heard of, or maybe you have if you're a car enthusiast. Like American Beauty, 
Crow Elkhart, Dixie Flyer, Hup Mobile. What a great name, Hup Mobile. Packard, Pierce Arrow, Stutz, Bearcat. They all participated, and they're all gone. There's a company called Milburn Electric, which was ahead of its time being the only electric-powered car 120 years ago. And the most innovation in the car industry, in my opinion, this is is not a fair statement, but we'll we'll hit it anyway. A lot of innovations come in the last 10 years, 20 years. Um, But in 1920, there was a pandemic. This sounds familiar, right? It was influenza pandemic. It killed roughly 50 million people worldwide between 1918 and 1920. Does that sound familiar? A little bit studying history? Even John and Horace Dodge took ill. The auto show continued on. They had a record crowd during a pandemic. People get pretty hot and bothered. They, they get pretty riled up and with love and passion about cars. Interesting fact about me, I'm not that big into it. 1903, there was a fateful decision to concentrate on automobiles and agreed to become the main supplier for Henry Ford. The Dodge brothers and Henry Ford started working together. There was a cash investment. Ford had trouble coming up with it. So they started trading each other in stock. Back to 1920, a sharp increase in influenza reported simultaneously in Kansas City and Chicago. Big increase in cities like New York, Washington, San Francisco, Milwaukee, St. Paul. It moved around the country a lot like COVID-19 has moved around the country. Um, And the Dodge brothers and Ford put people on the lines with masks on. And that little act of putting a mask on was able to keep their doors open. And being able to keep your doors open led you to survival. Very interesting, the history of cars. What else do we need to know? So the flu in 1920 hit a huge human toll on lives and suffering, but it kind of ran its course. I think a lot of people are hoping it runs its course now. I know a married couple who's kind of doing a lot of counseling right now because she wants it to run its course. He wants to get family vaccinated. She wants to fight Sacramento. He wants to live a normal life and not fight the government. Very interesting. Anyway, um, Chrysler bought Dodge. Long story short, <clears throat> there used to be 130 plus car makers. Now you think of like Ford, GM, Volkswagen. I mean, there's 130 car makers, but <clears throat> we consolidated the heck out of that industry. And until we revitalized it with Elon Musk and Tesla, like it's not lost on me that Rivian has the second highest car valuation 
And Tesla has the highest car valuation. And Tesla is bigger than Ford GM put together. It's It's got a different business model. But it's not that big, big a difference, is it? So I do want you to go back in history and uh, know like World War II was great for companies like Ford and GM because when we had to crank out tanks and we had to crank out rifles and we had to crank out tents and, and shovels, we got this mentality of doing it through a factory line. We became very good at it in the United States. One of the things I want to talk about next segment is inheriting money. Because in the first segment, we talked a little bit about Warren Buffett. Second segment, we talked a little about Ford, which the heirs still own the Detroit Lions, which I don't know about you, but I'd probably be getting out of the Detroit Lions business if I was an owner. That seems like the worst franchise in all of sports, but that's just me. Um, I'll try to be nice here. But next segment, I want to talk a little about windfalls because, like I said, Ford was able to create enough wealth so that his grandchildren could buy NFL franchises. What do you think Elon Musk is going to buy in his lifetime, being the richest man on the planet? So far, he's turned his back on real estate. He does want to help finance getting us to Mars. But what do you think he's going to buy? Like he could buy five NFL teams. <laughs> That's ludicrous to think about. Let's talk about inheriting money next, because as you can see, it's a, I think it's an interesting topic. Warren Buffett, he gave his kids enough to live off of, but not enough to, to, to spoil them so they don't have to work. Bill Gates doing the same thing. Yeah, his kids are marrying royalty, but you get the idea. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Trying to find interesting stories for you, but I think one of the more compelling ones is do you, how much money do you leave a kid in inheritance? And maybe that has something to do with your psychology. Are you optimistic about your kids? Are you pessimistic about jobs in the future? Um, are you worried robots are going to take everything over? Like, it's one thing to say, I want my kids to succeed on their own. It's another to say, well, if they don't, then they're going to be living in you know, oppressed overlord kind of world. I don't want that. So it's not a, a well thought out idea in my head. I could imagine it's not a well thought out idea in most people's heads. Oftentimes as we grew up, we would run into friends whose parents had more money than not us. I grew up in a military family. So we were always considered kind of lower middle class. Um, at all our schools, the rich girls who I had crushes on, I'd go to their houses and holy mackerel, they lived well. 
I'm thinking about you, Blair. I know you're saying, do you like the girl named Blair? Yes. And I wiggled my way into the, uh, one of those, the yearbook staff, because she was on the yearbook staff. And that led to, let's go over a couple article ideas at her parents' house. Nothing ever happened. She was out of my league. But I didn't not think about it. And I was like, ah, she's going to marry well. <laughs> if I married her, I'd be married into the, fam- the, the rich family. You dream a lot as a kid, right? Um, see, the problem is a lot of high-profile examples in inheritance can lead to a bit of a problem. Maureen O'Connor was a former California politician who inherited over $40 million from her late husband. Her late husband was Robert Peterson. He was the founder of Jack in the Box. So I guess he was Jack. She gambled it all the way at casinos and was left destitute. So when I hear about that, I instantly start thinking about the ideas and the concepts of what would my kids do? Would they get into politics because they can now, quote unquote, serve the community? They don't have to be college educated to do that. They don't have to have a cutthroat job to do that. It's something they can fall back onto service. Um, or do I want to set up a foundation that you know they help oversee and they get a salary out of? Something that's important to me is uh, animals. So do I want to set up a foundation that animals that are abused, I just, I don't get that. Children that are abused, I don't get that. I get murdering your spouse of 30 years because she couldn't fry eggs correctly. I get that. But children and animals, I don't get. So maybe I set up a foundation and put my kids as officers so they can get a salary for their life. But not enough that they don't have to develop other skill sets. When you inherit a lot of money, it's your debt. No. Opposite. It's your spending. And I see all too often, at the end of the year, my family is going to have a disbursement. Because my mother died in early January this year of COVID. So when it's dispersed, I can I will almost bet you half of my siblings will go out and spend it on a car. I'll just throw it in my savings. Throw it in my investments. And I'll think of my mom every now and then. Maybe, depending on the size of what's left, I might do something in her name, donate some of the money to a school system. People are living longer, so one of the problems with inheriting money is you're having to wait longer to get it. Go watch the movie, the TV show Succession if you want to learn how money causes a lot more problems than it than helps. But when you inherit a, a big wad of cash, it's not the debt, it's the spending. Now, one of the mistakes you can make is get in that thought pattern that I'm going to start spending now because I know I'm going to inherit mom and dad's money later. Doesn't always work out that well for you, especially when one parent... Well, let me give you a good example. There's a woman whose kids were in our lives 12 years ago. And when we met her, she lived in Woodside. Beautiful home with a pool. It was her dad's home. And uh, 
the mom and dad got a divorce. The mother got really nothing 20 years ago, 30 years ago. She grew up in a divorced household and the dad remarried. And at the last second, the dad took his daughter and son out of the well and put it all in the new wives. Uh, well, or in his will, just named her as the sole beneficiary. And she was kind of cool. She told Kelly and her kids they could stay there for another summer. And then they had to get out. Oh, and her dad was just a jerk too. He was the kind of guy that would uh, open up a bank account, get $100 for opening a bank account, and then the moment he could, he'd close it. He worked really hard to open up a $100 bank account kind of thing. Now, she always knew in her whole life that an inheritance was imminently coming. As soon as he passed, it was imminently coming. And then in the last two years of his life, everything changed. Dad no longer wanted his kids to get the money. He wanted his only uh, his new spouse and their new kid. Nuclear families are B-I-T-C. Like it is, they're not fun. One thing you never want to do is advertise that you have a windfall coming. You're not going to be loved by anyone. It's creepy. I don't think you want to tell extended friends and family. Um, because then you get into, they get bitter and they get upset. And they try to like wiggle into inheritances. I think if you're going to leave money to a kid, I think you need to talk to them about it. It shouldn't be a surprise either way. So don't spend the money before you get it. A lot of people start doing that. And even psychologically, they go, I don't have to go to college. I'm going to inherit mom and dad's money. So I'm going to make part of my kids getting money a college degree. I don't think college taught me anything. And I'm not going to say a college degree from Harvard. I'm not going to say that. They can get it from a community college for all I care. They can get an associate's degree. But part of me going to college was I learned how to please bosses. I learned how to clean a kitchen. When I was 16 years old and, you know, a uh, line chef at like a Bob's Big Boy. Uh, you learn to, to maintain your equipment. Like that's the, I know that's going to sound weird. You learn to show up on time. Um, working in restaurants as a waiter because there's no money in being a cook. And I'd see the waiters like I'd get greasy and dirty and just filthy cooking for six hours. And uh, the waiters would like be counting $200 in $1 bills. I'm like, I just made minimum wage for six hours and they just pulled five times as much money as I did. So I quickly want to get to the front of the house. And that's also where the, how shall we say, the prettier women work. And when you're 16, you're thinking pretty woman, pretty woman, pretty woman, pretty woman, pretty woman, pretty woman. Or at least I was. I don't know if I had a hormone deficiency or what have you. But I want my kids to go through a little bit of a blue-collar job cycle. Last night I cooked dinner for my family. Oh, I went off. I went off. Made my own sauces. Did dirty street tacos. Uh, got the lime. Got the cilantro. Went to town on quality ingredients. Because I used to work in restaurants. And I know like I have the confidence to do it. I think it's important that inheritance is kind of, we have to redefine how we, we see it. And, you know, some more personal stories like CFP Chad Burton tells this one all the time where 
he had an aunt who died and her sister comes into the hospital bed. The body's still in the bed, getting cold. Takes the wedding ring off and says, oh, she said I could have it. And it wasn't in the will. Nothing was stated that way. And no one had ever heard of this conversation. Bad blood. My oldest brother is probably my least successful brother. Because unfortunately, he grew up at a time when it was cool to be a hippie and cool to smoke marijuana. And that kind of killed his urge to go to college. He wanted peace, love, and war. He wanted peace, love, and sex or something. Peace, love, and drugs. My dad wanted him to go to college. He eventually gets a degree in some sort of computer science. He's way older than me. My parents had a lot of kids over time. And he's looking at the end of the year as, woohoo, big payday for me. And he's being a bit of a, like, he wanted the house that my mom died in. She did die in it. We moved her into old folks' home, but he wanted the house that was hers. He wanted her car. He took her car. The amount of like tchotchkes that my mom had accumulated in her lifetime, many of them disappeared and showed up at his home. You think any of us respect our oldest brother? Not a single sibling does. Because he approached death in a very odd, goofy, weird, uncool kind of way. He's still our brother. But we laugh about him every time we get together. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. How do you want to leave an inheritance? A straightforward approach to managing your money. The Rob Black Show. Questions about how to invest in your retirement? Check out robblackshow.com and get in on the conversation. Subscribe to the podcast and video channels. No one cares more about your money than you do. It's time to start to feel good about your financial future. robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. I am not your political show. On occasion, I'll get into that area on how politics ties towards budgets. But the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the Arbery death, reflect just deepening political and racial divides in our country. Um, I can be honest when I say this. When I moved to California 25 years ago, um, one of the things I instantly noticed was there was a lot less hate, racially speaking. Maybe I didn't see it. Maybe I saw it a different way. But on the East Coast, it's a lot more heated. Um there's a lot more anger on the East Coast. Maybe I'm wrong on this, right? Um, but as a young man, I remember going to a Washington Capitals game. And it was Game 7. And Game 7 in hockey, you're supposed to wear all white. The players are supposed to look up and just see white. And it's supposed to be inspiring. It's pretty cool to see. It's a, it's a neat little effect. So I guess I'm probably 18 to 22 in that range. And me and my friends all paint our skin white. Get white cream oil, put it in our hair. White shirts, button down, white pants, white shoes, white hands. And of course, we're looking for mixers before we go to the game. So we go in the game. Uh, we go into a 7-Eleven. Not knowing that this was in a very African-American community. And there was 25 African-Americans in the 7-Eleven and there's three white kids totally dressed up as white. Looked like we were going to a white party, which there weren't white parties back then going to discos and stuff, you know, raging. But it was awkward. And I saw people from Asia screaming from people of African-American and 7-Eleven. There was stress. And the moment I got 
California. I felt like that kind of melted away. So what if that's worth? Um, I think it's some sort of insight. Hey, retail sales were okay. What's interesting about retail sales, it's kind of a little fascinating pastime in the United States to get miserable and to lose confidence. But in the end, we still shop. So there's something called consumer confidence. And it's interesting. I was talking to Adam Phillips. He's the EP director of portfolio strategy yesterday. And he's on a weird track like I am. He's got two kids who are a little bit younger, but wife, nice home. And I said, guess how much? Because he's at that age where you don't really fly a lot with kids, but in the future you do. And he goes through the same thing that I'm going through of the, you know, I got out of college. I was paying for myself, my own food, my own rent. Then I fell in love and we got a bigger home and we're sharing expenses. Then we fell in love, got married. Then we fell in love, got married and had babies. And suddenly you're, you're in charge of feeding four mouths. And when you book a trip across country, I said, guess how much a, a flight across from San Francisco? He lives in L.A. So it's the same kind of idea. How much do you think it is from L.A. to New York City over the holidays? It's like 500 a ticket? $1,000 a ticket. And he's like, whoa, I guess I'm going to be vacationing at home. And again, so he's heard from me that the ticket prices are higher. Now, when push comes to shove, I bet he gets on a flight. Um, or when push comes to shove, he'll find something to entertain his family. Maybe not a trip to New York City. Maybe it'll be a staycation, but he'll still drop some dough. But again, it's the consumer confidence where we hear that it's bad out there. We hear people aren't going back to work. Do you know there's a really interesting statistic now? The fastest pace of people going back to work are the elderly, in large part because there's good money in going back to work, and they see the value of good money. Interesting, right? The labor force is changing in the United States due to COVID-19. And our approaches and the salaries, they're probably not going to get knocked down. I know Amazon's doing some holiday pay and they'll take that away. But it feels like living wages have creeped up and they're getting into the system. Tough to roll those back. Tough to roll those back. But uh, retail sales came in strong real strong, whether it's Walmart or Home Depot. Home Depot was supposed to be a play that during the pandemic, they did very well, except for the fact every time I drove by a Home Depot, there was a line of like 200 people outside because only so many people were allowed in the store. I was like, that's got to be hurting business because I don't want to go stand in line with people. I would rather not. (laughs) So that's something I'll, I'll tell my wife and kids like, like, hey, do you want to get a cheesecake factor? I'm like, no, they always have a 45-minute wait. I would rather not. There's a great short story written in American history called Bartleby the Scrivener. And it it, it was interesting because it was about a guy who is about a laborer, essentially, right? He was a scrivener. And every time people asked him to do something, he said, would say, I would prefer not to. So the labor force was a story back then. The labor force is still a story today. And I would prefer no lines. Retail sales come in strong. Again, showing us that even though we're faced with inflation, even though we're faced with COVID, we still shop. 
and we've got an extra $1.6 trillion saved up over the pandemic. That's that's like Biden saying, hey, I'm going to give every American $1.6 trillion because we will eventually spend it. But um, Home Depot was supposed to be a, a pandemic play. And then as we start flying across the country, as we start going to baseball games, as we start going to football games, Home Depot is supposed to suffer because we're no longer fixing up our homes. We're no, now going out and spending our, our discretionary dollars elsewhere. But they had a great quarter showing that, yeah, six months ago I could have said, yeah, I wouldn't want Home Depot right now because we're reopening right up and we're, we're, we're moving around and I'm going to do less gardening. And I would have been wrong. But I could have done that story and been very confident in it. You got to watch yourself when it comes to investing. Don't get too locked up in being right. Play the game. It's called capitalism. It's Don't be a stock picker. Get involved in the system. That's just my opinion. Of course you should consult a broker advisor, and of course you should have a plan. If you need to work with a financial planner, check out CFP Chad Burton at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. The fortune-making spirit of today's marketplace, The Rob Black Show. Peloton is falling today after announcing a shelf offering of 1 billion common stock. Companies trying to raise money to buy their way into success. When the pandemic fell on them and we stopped going to gyms for safety reasons, uh, Peloton had the best conditions. Now the best conditions are not there. They need another virus more so than they need a billion dollars. And that's dark of me to say. Would I buy Peloton? New. The only thing I like about Peloton is that they're eventually going to be acquired by either Apple or Nike. Um, I think the product's cool. I think it's awesome. But I don't think it's appropriate. Um, let's talk a little bit about what's happening on Wall Street today. Better than expected retail sales data for October. Walmart and Home Depot have better than expected earnings results. Walmart had some interesting commentary tied towards the pandemic and basically saying, we're good. We got, we, we chartered boats and we're ready for Christmas. We got enough inventory. We're good. Interesting. A little bit of a relief, right? Sam's Club said membership count reached new records. Walmart said U.S. prices are compelling and customers continue to move away from early pandemic behaviors. Walmart also talked a little bit about their Walmart Plus, which is a, like an Amazon Prime service. And they're very pleased that customers are spending more and more money with Walmart Plus. Now, Unlike Jeff Bezos and Amazon, they're not going to really focus on like overhyping it. Um, I don't know why, but I do find it a little bit interesting. Let's talk about other issues on Wall Street today. If they're, I think Walmart's a big one. Walmart and Home Depot were delivering better than expected results. Um, total resale sales, retail sales. That's easy for me to say. Uh, retail sales were a strong number read this morning, and again, tied towards the idea of consumer confidence was lower last month, and inflation was higher, so we thought we could see retail sales dip or not grow as fast. But shoppers accelerated their level of spending in October, even as prices of goods jumped at their fastest pace since the 1990s. 
Retail sales, a measure of how much consumers spent on goods, ranging across categories from autos to sporting goods to food to gas, increased 1.7% for October compared with the previous month of eight tenths of a percent. So accelerating. Households are flush with cash. Thanks to a year and a half of payments Congress approved that helped combat the pandemic crisis, a lot of people saved that money. The spending through the pandemic is totaled as much as $5 trillion, while savings currently sit about $1.6 trillion for Americans. That's a lot of do re me. Um, some of the top stories of the day. I think that is the top. The retail sales, I, I got to stick with that one. I don't need to go fishing too far past that. Oh, Biden and G talked. We do want them to get along with each other. Um, but on fair terms. Ghost Kitchen Startup Reef had locations shut down in at least six cities by health authorities. Yuck. When it's widespread, yuck. Ghost Kitchen Startup Reef is backed by SoftBank. And I think we're going to see more and more of these. Reef bills themselves as the largest operator of delivery restaurants in the United States. They've been told to close for violating city and public health codes. And playing a little too fast and loose with city regulations. In a story that I don't even want to look at, but we have to. I was reading through Bloomberg this morning. And a man was paralyzed after a collision with an Amazon van. He's suing the company. The lawsuit is interesting, and it's where it got my attention. I've got two brothers who are lawyers, and they wanted me to go into law and do law school with them. And I'm like, nope, nope, don't want to be a lawyer. And uh, we were going to open up with the firm Black, Black, and Black. It would never have worked. It would never have worked. But the lawsuit's claiming that Amazon's monitoring technology forced drivers to rush to the point that it was unsafe. Amazon's consistently saying that it's not the case. Uh, Amazon has a interesting labor force. There was an episode of John Oliver this week on HBO who's very liberal. We know that going in. Uh, but he's he was looking at the uh, unionizing efforts and how companies try to stop unions from ever getting started. And in Amazon's case, they actually make employees spend a couple hours a week studying why not to join a union, watching videos that are anti-union. And it's like, whoa, they are an evil company. My, opin my, my opinion on unions is it's tougher to make money with them. So again, I always skew not towards quality of work. Well, maybe that's not true. But as an investor, I always skew towards are unions good for a company or bad for a company? And the more unionized it is, the more they pay their employees, which is a great social thing. But it is a very bad capitalism thing. Um, you want profit margins. You want healthy profit margins, not too healthy a profit margin, not too draconian of profit margins. But Amazon's got a labor issue at some point in time. I think that's going to happen. Taylor Swift's re-recorded Red Album broke two Spotify records in one day. One of the areas of being a tech titan that I find very, very important is getting scale. 
And in my opinion, Facebook has scale, Amazon has scale, Apple has scale. You get the idea, right? And I think they're all great investments because they have scale. Great long-term investments. I think Spotify can fall into that category. I just, I haven't been won over by all the decisions yet, but okay, back to Taylor Swift, Tay Tay. She re-recorded her Red Album and broke two Spotify records in one day. Its latest move in Switch, Swift's battles of the rights to her earlier music and its success highlights the industry's shifting power dynamics. What's going to be fascinating to me is when blockchain hits the music industry. And it will. Meta just got hit with its first major lawsuit since a whistleblower leaked thousands of internal documents. Ohio's attorney general is suing Meta, alleging that it violated federal securities laws by failing to disclose its harm to young users. And what's kind of interesting about that is Zuckerberg's going out and talking about, you know, industry studies say that internet watching doesn't hurt kids and industry studies, but the industry studies show things like Netflix and not necessarily just Facebook. The Facebook studies show that Facebook's a lot more damaging to teenagers than internet studies. Internet studies are too broad. They include watching Netflix, which socially isn't very damaging to many people. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Honest, straightforward, and right to the point. The Rob Black Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 